Want to patent your invention? The chance is near. You've given it heart. Now get it in gear. It's Passage to Profit with Richard and Elizabeth Gearhart. This is Richard Gearhart. And Elizabeth Gearhart. On Passage to Profit, welcome to our show, the show about startups and entrepreneurs. And today we're going to talk about crowdfunding. For those of you who don't know what crowdfunding is, it's a way that entrepreneurs raise money. And so joining us for our show today is Mike Ganade. And then, of course, after our discussion with Mike, we'll be following up with our three pitch contestants. But before we start our discussion about crowdfunding with Mike, we'll have a special segment here featuring James Klobukar. James is an IP lawyer with Gearhart Law, and he specializes in patents, trademarks, and copyrights. And tonight, he'll be talking about design patents. Welcome to the show, James. Thank you. Tell us about design patents. Design patents are one of the three types of patents out there. Uh, you have utility patents, plant patents, and design patents. And the key takeaway for design patents is that you're protecting the ornamental appearance of the item that you're looking to protect. Uh, most are familiar with utility patents, and at that point, you're really protecting the function, the concept, the method, the process, you know, whatever it is to your invention. But, you know, with designs, again, it's the ornamental appearance. And the example I always give is the retractable pen. For example, if you have a retractable pen, it's a spring-loaded pen, you click it, you use it, you click it, and put it away. But you can think of how many types of pens you've seen that, that implement that. But each one is a little different in terms of design. And, and that's really the heart of the design patent. You haven't invented a new pen, per se, but you've invented a new design for a pen. And, and there you have it. So what types of inventions are best protected with design patents? Um, you know, almost anything, realistically. Uh, it really depends. Design patents really run the gamut. Uh, it can be anything from furniture, uh, apparel, uh, ordinary household items, even food items. Uh, and, and many people are surprised at food items, but you know anything from dog biscuits to chocolate bars, it's fair game. One of my favorite design patents is a pizza. <laughs> so <laughs> I had that hanging on my wall for a long time, made me hungry. So James, what is the advantage of a design patent? Like, let's say if you had a choice of a design patent or some other IP, why would you go with the design patent? Uh, it partially boils down to what you're really looking to protect. Are you looking to protect the function of the item or are you looking to protect the design? And then outside of that, what you really have is design patents are often less expensive than utility patents, and they're much easier to obtain, you know, overall. So if I have a logo, say, I'll probably get a trademark on that. Would I get a design patent on a logo? Like, would you try to get both? Would you pick one or the other? Yeah, I mean, at that point, you're probably dealing with a trademark. The closest to a logo for a design, you know, is often going to be like a computer design, something like an icon or, you know, for an app, something along those lines. Um, yeah. is protectable via, you know, a design patent. The icon is the little button that I push to activate the app on my cell exactly. phone. Exactly. Okay. All right. So does Apple have a lot of design patents? Yes, absolutely. Apple, Samsung, the old smartphone wars, there's plenty. Thank you, James, for sharing your deep expertise on design patents. If you want to know more, you can always call him at Gearheart Law, and he can go into excruciating detail with you. <laughs> <laughs> so joining us now is Mike Ganade from Rock Manor Games, and we specifically sought out Mike and asked him to take the train up here from Delaware to be on the show 
because we thought he had something really important to share with our listeners. Mike is an expert on crowdfunding and a successful entrepreneur who has had five successful rounds selling games. Welcome, Mike. Thanks for having me, guys. Just to give your listeners some background on sort of what I do as it relates to Kickstarter, um, I am a board game designer and publisher. So uh, I started out as just a side hustle type thing, and I had a couple. I had a game that my friends and I were playing, and it was something that would scratch my own personal itch for the game I was looking for, and. Uh, I put it up on Kickstarter after going to a convention and having some success at PAX in Seattle, and I was lucky enough to fund. And then I took two years of a break, sort of going back to the real world and a real job, uh, while I worked on uh, what would become a much more successful game. Uh, I pounded the pavement for over a year going to conventions, and when I took that second game to Kickstarter, I made about six times what I did the first time. Wow. That's amazing. So, so how did you do that? How did you do that? <laughs> <laughs> and tell us, can you tell us uh, a little bit about Kickstarter? Um, I know a lot of our entrepreneur friends have heard the word, but maybe some of us aren't really sure what it means and what it does. Sure. So I would describe Kickstarter as the number one crowdfunding platform online. Um, basically, what they do is they offer you a complete backend for any creator you sign up as a creator. They let you have access to all of their tools to start setting up your campaign. So you can upload videos, you can upload pictures of your product, start writing out all your text, uh, create your rewards. So Kickstarter is, you know, a crowdfunding slash pre-order platform. So uh, in my case with games, I always make sure my game is basically done, 95% complete with art and everything else. So it looks pretty on Kickstarter before I uh, publish it and, and run the crowdfunding campaign. But you basically just work on your campaign page, and then once you're ready, you click the launch button and you set up a timeline. So crowdfunding is a limited time. You typically have between 24 and 30 days, you get to select how long you want it to be, uh, to reach a certain funding goal. So you may say, for me to order, for me to make this game, I need to make at least 1,000 units. I need $10,000. I set that as my funding goal. I click launch, and then people can visit that web page and pledge dollars towards that goal. And if I reach the goal at the end of the 30 days, they're charged for the for the money. Kickstarter takes 5% by providing you the tools and platform, uh, and then transfers the money to you, and then you use that money to deliver the product. Great, great. Yeah, no, Mike, that's awesome. You know, one question I had when you mentioned that was, you know, the second game, you said wildly more successful. What was the reason? Was the game just that much better? Or what did you do? What did you learn to implement that second time around? Well, I will say that every time I've done a Kickstarter and I finish up, I've always learned something new. Uh, you obviously learn uh, the mo you obviously make the most mistakes your first time and learn the most from your first go around. Um, so I do think I learned a lot from my first Kickstarter, but I attribute a lot of my success to having the game practically complete for almost a year and going to convention after convention, bringing a clipboard with me, demoing the game, uh, playtesting the game with fans to make it better, and iterating on it. And then also, I always had a clipboard with me so I could take their email address if they liked it. Um, so I really grew an email an, an email list uh, of people that I could email as soon as I clicked that launch button. So the traffic I got to my Kickstarter page and thus the potential to convert into pledges was a lot greater. That's what I was going to ask. How do people find you? So it sounds like you did that. But is it like websites where the more people find you, the more visible you are to everybody going on Kickstarter? Uh, yeah, certainly Kickstarter's algorithms behind the scenes. Uh, I mean, Kickstarter brings a good fan base to, uh, especially in board games. I mean, new board games launch on Kickstarter almost every day. 
Tuesday is always a big day with multiple games launching at once. I mean, this past Tuesday, we had three games launch uh, just this past Tuesday, and both of them exceeded $100,000 within the first few hours. So three large games from three large publishers all launched on a Tuesday. So you do have people who are just checking uh, Kickstarter every week for a new game that they may be interested in. Uh, The important thing is to be near the top of that list. So you do need to bring your own audience. Kickstarter gives you the opportunity to magnify that audience, um, but you need to be successful, you know, in the first few hours and fund so people have the confidence in backing and pledging. Kickstarter makes it completely open and easy for anyone to launch any type of creative project, but it is, I mean, there's absolutely a barrier to entry. Uh, Being a proven creator makes things easier. Uh, Knowing that people can look at my past campaigns and say, oh, people that backed this actually got their product is a huge advantage to someone coming to the platform new. For every Kickstarter success story, there are plenty of funded Kickstarters that have never delivered anything and stolen people's money as well. So, I mean, there's horror stories out there too. So the fact that I'm sort of vetted and proven certainly helps me. Is there anything on Kickstarter like pay to play, like paid advertising for Google or any way that you can give Kickstarter money to bump you up in the rankings so people find you easier? No. So Kickstarter just uses their own algorithm. So based on how many people are funding you at any given time, that's going to put you on their popular list or not. So if you're getting $1,000 an hour and the next campaign's only getting $500 an hour, you're going to be on that number one popular spot, and the campaign that's making $500 an hour will be number two. I mean, I do advertise through Facebook and Google and other places to drive traffic to my Kickstarter page, but there's nothing within the Kickstarter ecosystem to spend in addition. They just take their 5% fee only if you fund. Well, that's pretty cool. They're like the only ones that do that that I know of (laughs) online. So um, right now we're going to take a short break. So you are listening to Passage to Profit with Richard and Elizabeth Gearhart on WOR 710 on iHeartRadio. What are entrepreneurs' most valuable assets? Their passion and ideas. We can't protect your passion, but we can protect your ideas. Trust Gearheart Law to protect your ideas with premier patent, trademark, and copyright services. There's never been a better time to start your own business. Contact us at GearheartLaw.com. At Gearheart Law, we have years of experience protecting entrepreneurs' ideas and brands using patent, trademark, and copyright protection. So if you you have a new consumer product, a new software application that you're planning to build or sell, or a brand or company name that you want to protect, contact the experts at Gearheart Law, www.gearheartlaw.com. Don't let the wrong protection strategy ruin your business. All of our attorneys are passionate about protection and are licensed and qualified to represent you before the United States Patent and Trademark Office. Don't start your project without calling us first. Contact Gearheart Law on the web at G-E-A-R-H-A-R-T. T-L-A-W.com. Together, we can change the world. This ad has been read by a non-attorney spokesperson. Passage to Profit continues with Richard and Elizabeth Gearhart. We're here with Mike Ganad and special guest James Klobukar from Gearhart Law. And uh, we'd like to just continue our discussion. So, Mike, what are the top things that one of our entrepreneur listeners should know if they are going to start a Kickstarter campaign? Uh, so number one, and the most important in my opinion, is to make sure that you're bringing your own crowd. Crowdfunding, uh, you can always get more people and sort of, you have a lottery ticket once you click that launch button where you can get new people and you'll be marketing yourself. But you want to make sure you've done enough pre-marketing that you're pretty sure you're going to fund and you have a big enough mailing list and fans that are excited about your project going into it. Number two, I would say make sure you do plenty of due diligence and research into 
manufacturing and shipping. You want to make sure that you have a quote from a manufacturer to produce your product. You want to make sure you know how much it's going to cost to import that into each country and how you're going to fulfill it. Plenty of people will ship crates and crates of games or products or devices to their house and ship it out manually. Uh, I suggest you use one of the many fulfillment partners out there that will have warehouses and can do it for you. I, I don't see a game. It sounds in- kind of like a nightmare to me if I yeah. had to ship yeah. like 2,000 games, right? Yeah. I, I don't. <laughs> Lots uh, of trips to the post office. Kind of like office. those t-shirts we have to send all the past Yeah, my, my, wife, my wife would kill me if. Uh, uh, You've got them in your yeah, dining room, truck, in your living room, yeah, you know, truck in your bedroom. With uh, boxes and boxes and cases of games. So uh, there's lots of reputable fulfillment partners out there that will handle all the logistics for you. You just need to pay them and make sure you're comfortable with them before you successfully fund. Yeah, yeah, Mike. Following up on uh, your first point there about driving traffic and, and getting together email lists, there's third parties out there that will essentially run your campaign for you. They will you know, try to see, secure the funding, the lists, and really manage everything. And for some people, that's kind of a controversial thing, or they think that it's not as, as grassroots as crowdfunding was intended to be. But, but do you have particular thoughts on that or experiences with that? Yeah. I mean, I will tell anyone out there who's listening, who's, who's run a Kickstarter can probably relate to this, but as soon as you launch a Kickstarter, you will get several messages through the Kickstarting messaging system of scammers and marketing agencies telling you, I have a list of backers that'll back your product. Just shoot me 50 bucks, a hundred bucks, 200 bucks. Then there's other creators out there who will say, Hey, I'll post about your campaign. If you post about my campaign. In general, I would say you want to stay away from all of those things. If you need to rely on spending a couple hundred bucks on an email list after you've launched your Kickstarter and it's not doing what it's supposed to be doing, cancel it and relaunch. There's no shame in it. You weren't ready, but 99% of those emails you're going to get after the fact are scams. That being said, there are plenty of great partners out there that you can work with. There are tons of Facebook groups online. There's tons of great blogs out there that can teach you more about Kickstarter than I can on this radio segment. So I would just say do your research. Uh, approach those companies before you launch so you have all of your numbers and things in line. There are some great consultants out there who will take a few percentage points from your Kickstarter only if it funds uh, to review your page, make sure the flow makes sense, your product shown in a good light. Obviously, they're going to tell you, don't launch yet. We don't think it'll fund because they only get paid if it funds. So they're going to look out for you. And, and again, you're just getting those people in line ahead of things. Mark, just a quick question. How important is the look and feel of your page to a crowdfund success. I mean, is this is marketing, right? So you definitely want to put your best foot forward. Very important. So there's a couple, I can give you a couple like highlights from, from at least from the board game side of things, but I think a lot of it applies to any product. Number one, your Kickstarter video should be less than two minutes long. If it's more than two minutes long, people aren't going to watch the whole thing and they may not even get to the best part. So make sure your Kickstarter video is a minute to two minutes long. If you want longer videos, you can embed those as part of your page down near the bottom for people who are really invested in learning more. Number two, especially with board games, a what's in the box section is really important, very high up on the page. So people watch the video, then they get a great picture of everything that they're getting. And I think that applies to other things besides board games as well. If you're interested in some sort of gadget or home appliance or whatever it is on Kickstarter, you want to see a picture of it and everything that you're getting when you pledge these dollars pretty high up on the page. Then you can start getting into the details. But the first few things that you hit people with is very important. So do you think professional graphics and photos are important to the presentation or is it, can you do it kind of as a do-it-yourself project? I would say it depends on how good you are at those things. I'm pretty good at photos. I'm very good at Photoshop. 
uh, and I'm pretty good at graphic design. So a lot of those types of things, if you look at my pages, like the layout, the graphics and the headers and all that stuff, I've done myself. For my last Kickstarter that ended a few weeks ago, I actually got a physical prototype made up and I took pictures with a nice SLR camera. But the video, I had nothing to do with other than laying out sort of a storyboard for the person who helped me do the video. So, you know, we went back and forth and made the video that way. You're taking pre-orders on Kickstarter and then you print your games and then you send them to the people that pre-ordered them and paid. Are you selling them off a website or anywhere else or in stores? Sure. So since the success of my second game, I've been lucky enough to get picked up in distribution and retail stores. Currently, that segment of my business is much smaller than Kickstarter. So a lot of my biggest profit portions are for myself and my own marketing and driving people to my Kickstarter. That's probably 70, 60 to 70% of my business where 30 to 40% is games being sold in stores. But that's a segment I hope to expand over the next few years. Well, I understand that the game that you have right now, now we're... taping this in October, is completely sold out and won't be available again until January of 2019. What is so special about your games that people love them? What are they? Uh, well, in the board game space, there is a huge website that I think gets 6 million visitors a year called BoardGameGeek.com. And on that page, any user can rate your games and comment on your games. And my most successful game so far is called Maximum Apocalypse. It is a roguelike adventure game where we would all work together to try to survive an apocalyptic scenario. Oh, so, how nice. So, <laughs> I don't think I would survive. I guess a little bit of training is good for everyone, right? Uh, yeah, it's not super, Buy this game and you'll survive the apocalypse. Uh, I wouldn't say it gives you real world uh, uh, survival skills, but, but as opposed to me trying to beat you, Elizabeth, uh, you know, in the game head to head and something really aggressive, we're actually going to be working together to try to beat the game that I design. Like you're trying to beat me as the designer. And you're going to work together with your friends to try to do that. So that game launched on Kickstarter in April of 2017. And it was delivered to backers January of 2018. Uh, And then it got into stores shortly after that. And luckily enough, the reviews for my game have been very good. And as a small indie publisher, I don't print thousands and thousands of extra copies to go to stores because I don't know if anyone cares (laughs) <laughs> other, than, uh, other, yeah. uh, other than those worried about the apocalypse. Yeah, yeah well, right? I mean, yeah. I don't know if anyone cares outside of the fans that I have sort of direct access to. So I only printed like a thousand copies for stores. And then obviously all the rest went to Kickstarter backers. But luckily enough, the rating on BoardGameGeek was very good. And people know about the game and they've been ordering it. So I've actually done a second print run of that, which will be in stores in January. Wow. But- so I think the moral of the story is if you want to make sure you get a copy of his game, go to Kickstarter. And is that the only place they can find it? Or I mean, you can go to rockmanorgames.com and we'll have pre-orders of that game once it's in stock again. Obviously, my Kickstarter that just ended, Set a Watch, is the first game I've published from somebody else. Uh, it was very successful, although it didn't beat my numbers of my personal game. We had more backers than we've ever had before. Uh, which was exciting. Well, that's great. So thanks a lot, Mike Ganad. And we really enjoyed hearing about your games and the coming apocalypse and how to prepare for it. (laughs) Uh, And plus all the good advice on being a Kickstarter expert. And uh, speaking of public exposure, how do we find entrepreneurs to pitch on the radio show? Anyone can pitch. You don't have to be a superstar. You don't have to know anybody. There's no pay to play here and it's free. You just come to New York City and audition. And if your pitch is right for us, you can go on the air. And you don't have to be in New York City to audition, but you do have to be here to be on the show as we can only tape in New York. 
And it's all paid for by our sponsors. The only thing that we ask of the pitchers is that they promote the show on their social media. But what about the contest? Oh, glad you asked. Sure. After the pitches, our listeners can Google Passage to Profit and find the page on GearHeartLaw.com and vote for their favorite pitch. You can vote for a week, but you only get to vote once. So get your friends to listen and vote. If they miss the show, they can listen to the podcast, which will be on iHeartMedia and also on our website. Do you hear how wonderful you are? If they don't have a radio, they can stream it on the iHeartMedia app. Just tell them to remember the name of the show by imagining walking down a passageway with a pot of gold at the end. Passage to Profit. Yes, and may your passage be short and your profit be huge. Passage to Profit with Richard and Elizabeth Gearhart on WOR 710 on iHeartRadio. Hi, I'm Lisa Askley, the inventress, founder, CEO, and president of Inventing A to Z. I've been inventing products for over 38 years. Hundreds of products later and dozens of patents. I help people develop products and put them on the market from concept to fruition. I bring them to some of the top shopping networks in the world. QVC, HSN, Evine Live, and retail stores. Have you ever said to yourself, someone should invent that thing? Well, I say, why not make it you? If you want to know how to develop a product from concept to fruition the right way, contact me, Lisa Askeles, the inventress. Go to inventing a toz.com inventing a to z.com email me lisa at inventing a to z.com treat yourself to a day chock full of networking education music shopping and fun go to my website inventing a toz.com now more with richard and elizabeth passage to profit and now we start the pitch competition each contestant will have a total of eight minutes to make their pitch The first two minutes, they fly solo, and so for that time, describe their project and put it in the best possible light. The remaining time is for the Inquisition, where they'll be challenged by Richard, Elizabeth, and Mike to describe their project in greater detail and convince the audience their project is the best. At the end of the program, our listeners will be directed to the Passage to Profit page on the Gearheart Law website, where our listeners can vote for the pitch they like the best. Our first pitch contestant is Rosemarie Maloof with Smarty Smart Sticks. Thank you, Elizabeth, and thank you, Richard, for having me here on Passage to Profit. I'm very excited. My name is Rosemarie Maloof. I'm from Bayville, New Jersey, and my invention, my patented game now is Smarty Smart Sticks. They are the sticks that make you smart, the game that sticks with you. Smarty Smart Sticks came to be when I was looking for a fun, exciting way for my children to learn the material that they were being taught in school in a fun way, you know, for them to be able to remember and for it to stick in their heads when they were looking to study. (laughs) So at the time, I was working... No pun intended, right? Stick with you. Um, At the time, I was working as a dental hygienist. And one night I decided, you know what, I think I'm going to take some of these tongue depressors home and color them in different colors and then put questions and answers on one side of the stick. So I took it home and I painted them and I started applying the questions and answers on it. And it was like, wow, I just created a game. (laughs) So (laughs) I had given the sticks to my children. They picked their own color. And as it's, it's played by, you know, every time they got the question right, they got the stick. If they had gotten the question wrong, I would tell them what the answer was. And so this time they would remember it. So when it came up the next time, it sticks 
It's stuck in their head. So um, the player with the most sticks at the end is the winner. And they absolutely loved it. So from there, I decided, all right, now how am I going to market this? So I made my own costume, and I went to a carnival. And then I got in touch with Richard Gearhart, who has been one of my biggest fans. And, and at that time, he said, guess what? You need a design patent. <laughs> okay, great. <laughs> so then we decided to go ahead with the design patent. And now I have the patent for the game and I have the patent for the characters as well. Rose has been a client of ours for since we started, yes, really. She's one years. of our first clients. And we got design patents for her. We got patents on the game. We got patents all over the world for her in Europe and Japan. It's really been fun to see how this project has evolved, right? And Ro, you've just been such a fanatic about Smarty Smart Sticks. You brought a costume <laughs> into the studio today. And if you go on our website, you'll be able to see yours truly dressed up in this absolutely uh, stunning. Sticking out. You're stunning, sticking I'm out, sticking Richard. Out. <laughs> But tell us about some of the steps you've taken to market the game. I think that's a great story, and I think our listeners would really appreciate that. Yes. So we have gone into classrooms. We've played with many children to see wh what they thought about it. And I have so many letters that they wrote thanking us for coming and how much fun they had and how much they can't, they can't wait to be able to buy the game in the stores. We also went to a, a local restaurant. It was a little bit of a wait every time we had to go in there and, and wait for the food. So I had approached the manager and I asked him if I could bring the game in there. And so he said, sure, let's try it. And we went in and people played while they were waiting for the food. It was fun to see how the families were able to engage with one another and interact and learn at the same time and have a lot of fun. We also have been on the Columbus Day Parade floats and we've been to senior citizen developments. The senior citizens absolutely love it also. So it has definitely reached out to all ages, where I thought it was just from the beginning, just for kids. It has gone beyond that. And so we have our characters, and um, they're spreading smiles everywhere. Um, Rose, how many units have you printed so far? Have you Are you selling yet, or are you still waiting? Yes. So my story, um, unfortunately... Um, some of my product that I had started buying and purchasing was in a little tiny house that we had um, where we were living and Hurricane Sandy came along and wiped us out. So we had lost our home. We had lost the little shed that we had in the backyard and everything. And um, we kept moving forward. And then <clears throat> after Sandy, as we started to get back on our feet again, I had heart surgery. Two cents and a triple bypass. So life keeps throwing me these curveballs <laughs> to try to stop me, but it's not going to stop me. I am determined to get Smarty Smart Sticks out there and into everybody's lives. So inventory wiped out and you're basically going to go back to uh, the manufacturing stage and trying to roll out the product. Yes. So we're currently looking for investors or possibly, like you was talking about, Michael, um, the Kickstarter and try to fund it that way so we can get back on our feet again and get more product. That's great. Can you say a little bit more about the the actual sticks themselves? Uh, because it sounds a lot like a flashcard, but obviously, you know, there's a design there, and the design seems to have a lot of appeal to what the game what the game really is and why kids enjoy it. Yes. So each stick has a question and answer on one side, and everybody gets five sticks of their own color. The youngest person would start first, and they would point to the person on their right. 
that person would ask the question. And if they got it right, they got the stick. If they got it wrong, then they are told the answer. So they're learning in a repetitious manner. And so if it came back to their turn again, and that player would shuffle their sticks, and they happened to pick that same stick they got wrong the first time, well, now they know the answer. So it it sticks. So, Rosemary, you do have a website, right? Yes, www.smartysmartsticks.com. I love the names. We we also have a jingle and a book. Oh, what's the jingle? Come on, what's the jingle? Come on. Smarty Smart Sticks. Smarty Smart Sticks. Learn fun facts with Smarty Smart Sticks. Smarty Smart Sticks. Smarty Smart Sticks. The sticks that make you smart. (laughs) The game that sticks with you. With Smart Alec, Sticky Nicky, Triple S Smarty and Smarty Kiki. Smarty Smart Sticks. Smarty Smart Sticks. The sticks that make you smart. The game that sticks with you. Smarty Smart Sticks. (laughs) You are one brave soul woman. (laughs) They would have turned off the radio if I had done that, but you sounded good. (laughs) So they all have names. So these are real characters. And the kids really identify. Yes, yes. And there are other characters coming. Uh, My kids, their imagination just runs wild. And so there is so much behind this, so much, a lot of intellectual property. I can't wait for it to get out there. It, people are just going to absolutely, hey, let's, SpongeBob was a sponge. We're a stick. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Rosemary. So www.smartysmartsticks.com. You're listening to Passage to Profit with Richard and Elizabeth Gearhart on WOR 710. There's never been a better time to start your own business. The opportunities are infinite and only limited by your imagination and enthusiasm. At Gearhart Law, we believe the most successful companies all have one thing in common. They start with a solid foundation first. Gearhart Law has years of experience protecting entrepreneurs, ideas, and brands using patent, trademark, and copyright protection. So if you have a new consumer product, a new software application that you're planning to build or sell, or a brand or company name that you want to protect, contact the experts at www.gearheartlaw.com. Our professionals will create a custom strategy designed to fit your needs and your budget. All of our attorneys are passionate about protection, licensed, and qualified to represent you before the United States Patent and Trademark Office. Don't start your project without calling us first. Visit gearheartlaw.com. Together, we can change the world. Visit G-E-A-R-H-A-R-T. LAW.com. This ad has been read by a non-attorney spokesperson. Passage to Profit continues with Richard and Elizabeth Gearhart. Our special guests this evening, Mike Ganade, and also our featured Gearhart Law intellectual property attorney, James Klobukar. They're manning the microphone. So we're here with our next pitch, Paulina Bryant, and she's going to be talking about Live Lawyer. Paulina, you've got two minutes to pitch. Go. Hi, my name is Paulina Bryan. I'm the creator and owner of Live Lawyer app. My app is an app that if the police stop you, you will um, push my app and a lawyer will come available to you via a FaceTime or Skype-like device. And after you get the lawyer, you will have the lawyer speak directly to the police officer and then it will ping your family and your contacts to let them know that you've been stopped and where you're located. And my final phase is gonna be voice activation. Um, just in case the police officer tell you you can't touch your phone, you can say live lawyer and the app will be activated. Oh, that's great. So if uh, you happen to be driving down the street, you get pulled over by 
a cop, then uh, all you do is yell live lawyer and a lawyer springs out of your cell phone and uh, defends you in that interaction. So I think that's a very, very excellent idea. I think there's a lot of people who could relate to how important that kind of service would be. So how did you come up with this idea? Well, I came up with this idea from my son, Jordan. He had a new car and he kept calling me saying to me, mom, the police keep stopping me. I don't know what to say. I don't know what to say. And Two seconds later, out of my mouth, it came, too bad you can't Skype a lawyer. So that's exactly how I came up with the idea. Where do you find the lawyers then for this? I mean, it would seem like, you know, you would have to almost have somebody available 24 hours a day, right? Right. What's going to happen, because my app is still getting produced, is that we're getting lawyers on board and they're going to have their team or we're going to have any type of lawyers or all type of lawyers that are coming from anywhere if they can, you know, fill the time slot and they can get into our queue, then they'll get a client when, you know, the app is pushed. Well, speaking as a lawyer, I love that idea. (laughs) Uh, I guess my question would be is how did you approach, I mean, I assume uh, the way you you phrased uh, getting the app produced, I assume you're not a coder. Um, So um, how did you go about finding, you know, a programmer or a coder to partner with or hire to do your app? What I did was some research and I went through a few people. I actually Googled and I did research and then I called and then I contacted folks and I went to the best one that I could find. And I right now I'm working with Phenon apps and they're doing a pretty good job. Yeah, Paulina, uh, very interesting, particularly as a lawyer myself. But a uh, couple questions. I'm really interested in, in in some of the details here. When you sign up for your app, um, how how do you go about creating that attorney client relationship? Is that is that something? Is there some sort of a waiver or something that has to be agreed to when you sign up? And a second question before you answer that. Mm-hmm. Um, when it, you said it alerts your contacts, I, I assume you can pick those contacts. I mean. You know, I may not want my mother knowing I've just been pulled over. You know, I mean, again, Again, I know, I know. I I don't live at home anymore, but I don't want her to know this. I get it. I get it. I get it. Yes. Um. You know, we're gonna have disclaimers and disclosure notices that you know you're gonna sign before you sign up for the actual app. And also, um, what was your second question again? I'm sorry. Oh, if you can pick the contacts that are um alerted when you're pulled over. Yes, you will be able to pick your contacts. Okay. I'm curious about what your revenue model is for making money on this app. Are you going to do, am I going to pay per minute that I have a lawyer live? Is there going to be some sort of membership fee, monthly fee uh, to have the app installed? Well, right now I'm going to, I'm looking at subscription based. And then once I get like advertisers and things like that, it might just become free. And I'm looking also for the lawyers when they come on, they can actually, I'm not sure how I'm going to have them either. They're going to pay to, you know, come onto my app or probably give some money if they get a client or things like that. I'm still working that out because I really want to make sure I'm making the best choice with that. So, Paulina, is this going to be based state by state? Because I know some of the laws are different. For instance, we have an acquaintance who shall remain nameless, (laughs) who was pulled over in New Jersey for a DUI, Uh moved to another state. In New Jersey, it's a traffic violation. Uh In other states, it's a misdemeanor. So the lawyer would have to know that, right? Yes, and it's going to be state to state. So I hope you're planning an intellectual property module. So when somebody has an idea, they just hit the button and Gerhardt Law pops up on their phone. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. A little shameless, you know, self-promotion. So uh, you've probably talked with a lot of lawyers about this. And how are they reacting to your idea? Well, they actually, they like it. They just wanted to 
get complete so they can jump on board. So that's my hardest thing is just trying to right now it's on Google Play and it's on um, Apple is supposed to do it this week. And I'm supposed to be uploaded to Apple this week. However, once they sign on and then we test it, we're going to have to test it locally. And then we're going to try to go out uh, nationwide. Obviously, we just said you'd spoken to lawyers. Have you spoken to the other side, the law enforcement side, and, and to get what their reception could be potentially to this? Actually, um, because there's a big push nowadays, body cams, you know, everything else is, you know, trying to be more transparent. And is your sense that they find this helpful or? Well, I actually did have a, a conversation with some law enforcement officers. I actually was walking around the park and then I was handing out my card. and He was like, this is not going to work. This is not going to work. And I'm like, why is it not going to work? And he said, no, because we don't have to listen to this. I'm like, well. Folks can be represented by their lawyer. And after he and I talked for a while, he actually said it was a great idea. But at okay. first he was very defiant in the beginning. But afterwards he was he was like, OK, I think this is a great idea. Good luck with your, you know, with your idea. So assuming you're successful and you get these apps downloaded and tens of thousands of people uh, start loading live lawyer on their on their phones. How are you going to scale this business? Um, you've got to have lawyers on call 24 seven and if you have enough users, you're going to need multiple lawyers at any given second right. uh, available to deal with the traffic violation. Or, I mean, I guess it doesn't have to be a traffic violation. If you've got your phone in your pocket, you could use them for anything. Yeah, you, you could use it on the street, I guess. Right. We're going to we're going to use it for anything. Um, even if you were like going to sign a contract or anything like that, you might need a lawyer. We're trying to spread out to any type of law. But right now, our main focus is just on the traffic stops, and we're going to grow from that. So that's what the, the direction we want to take. So is it going to be like an ER model in a hospital where they have a bunch of doctors on call and yes. hopefully you get the right doctor? But at least a lawyer would know some law. From the way we set it up, we have a section for criminal law. If you press it, contractual law, you can press that or whatever. We have like different little divisions. You have right. different little categories. Categories, and then, yes. And then would you be able to also record the conversation at some point? Yes. All the conversations will get recorded and they go up to the cloud to be safe. What about scheduling a call? So I know I've got a big meeting with a contract or I'm, I'm sitting down, I'm presenting with a contract and I know I'm meeting so and such to potentially sign this next week. Can I can I log on to your app and schedule? I'm going to need an attorney at 8 a.m. in this conference room. Yeah, you should be. If you push the button and you get an attorney, you can actually tell the attorney that you need them in a few hours and they should be able to help you with your need. You had said that everything is recorded and, and uploaded to the cloud. Yes. Is, are there going to be any um, consent issues with that in terms of, you know, recording in terms of a one party versus a two party consent? And, you know, what would happen if the cop does not want to be recorded in that instance? Is it, I mean, is there anything? Well, I believe it goes by state by state, the mm -hmm. law. So Correct. we would that would be part of it. So I guess. That's something I really have to probably think about for that if the cop doesn't want to be recorded. But it goes state by state. And I don't know if we can actually, like, blur the cop's face out or whatever, but it's going to the cloud. Well, that's a great question, James, and a great answer, Paulina. Thank you so much for bringing Live Lawyer to us on Passage to Profit. It's a great invention, and I think it's a long time coming. We're so grateful that the technology is here now that we can put those protections in place for people. Paulina Bryant, Live Lawyer. Uh, you can find me at LiveLawyerApp.com. And you're listening to Passage to Profit on iHeartRadio, 710 on your AM dial. 
What are entrepreneurs' most valuable assets? Their passion and ideas. We can't protect your passion, but we can protect your ideas. Trust Gearheart Law to protect your ideas with premier patent, trademark, and copyright services. There's never been a better time to start your own business. Contact us at GearheartLaw.com. At Gearheart Law, we have years of experience protecting entrepreneurs' ideas and brands using patent, trademark, and copyright protection. So if you have a new consumer product, a new software application that you're planning to build or sell, or a brand or company name that you want to protect, contact the experts at Gearheart Law, www.gearheartlaw.com. Don't let the wrong protection strategy ruin your business. All of our attorneys are passionate about protection and are licensed and qualified to represent you before the United States Patent and Trademark Office. Don't start your project without calling us first. Contact Gearheart Law on the web at G-E-A-R-H-A-R-T-L-A-W.com. Together, we can change the world. This ad has been read by a non-attorney spokesperson. Now back to Passage to Profit. Once again, Richard and Elizabeth Gearhart. We've come to our third and final pitch. Last but certainly not least, James Arsenault with Jock's Store Core Support Shorts. Thank you very much for having me be here, and I am really excited to talk to you about these products. Uh, my Jock Shorts, it's an interesting story. I've worked in the healthcare industry for over 35 years, and I've uh, worked with a lot of physicians and I had this crazy idea about putting a pair of compression shorts together with a back and core support belt with instant hot and cold packs. Uh, being a sportsman my whole life, I had hurt my back and wasn't able to do anything. I became a couch potato. And because of that, I put on about 35 pounds. So I came up with this crazy idea. And one of the physicians I was working with, I told him about it. And he says, hey, Jimmy, how would you like to meet with the best back doctor in the world? And uh, sure enough, two days later, I'm at the hospital for special surgery meeting with Dr. Vijay Vaad, who's the head of sports medicine there. I uh, put together a primitive little prototype, told him about my idea, and he says, holy cow, you got something there. And I said, well, Doc, would you like to be my partner? He says, absolutely, but you have to do all the work. And he wasn't kidding. So my partner and I, a gentleman by the name of Paul Iskion, we were hockey players together in high school, um, started our journey. We traveled up and down the East Coast looking for selective materials. Uh, I met with seamstresses and uh, created a product and... uh, we decided to showcase it at the PGA merchandising convention for golfers down in Florida. And we just bought a 10 by 10 booth, and uh, the response was just off the charts. We were actually voted cool new product of the year by Golfing Magazine. First time we ever had a show. That was out of thousands of products that showcased that day. So it was very impressive. So we went through uh, the patent process. It took us over four years to get our first patent. And we launched this, and we've been on the market now for a number of years. And it's doing very, very well. We have a number of sports pro teams across all sports, uh, golf, baseball, lacrosse, you name it. Uh, players now wearing my jocks product. Um, so it's been a, a tremendous journey so far. And from there, we then created a, a medical product that's actually uh, covered by the FDA and the PDAC. The PDAC is a government agency that gives you approval for insurance coverage. So this is covered by... Medicare, Medicaid, and major insurance. And this is it. You can see it's a a very rigid belt. It's for people who have serious back injuries or are post-surgical patients. So this is our retail product. Again, very lightweight, 10 ounces. You wear it as your regular underwear under your clothes, and it does a tremendous job for you. This was a really great pitch. I just want people to know exactly how to find your products. It's the Jocks Store, J-O-X. That's correct, www.joxstore.com. 
So I love the hot and cold packs in the back. And you said you're making them for women now, right? We do. We do. <laughs> I mean, I don't. I wouldn't even be playing a sport. I'd be sitting on the sofa wearing those with the hot thing on my back, right? We used to go to football games, and she would tape those hand warmers to her stomach. <laughs> <laughs> All over my body. <laughs> That's exactly how it works. The instant hot pack, you take it out of the pack, and you pop it in. There's a, a mesh pouch back here, and it keeps that heat directly over that L4, L5 axis of rotation where you do all your bending and stretching. And what happens is that that hot pack, when you heat those back muscles, it releases them, releases the tension in them so you're able to turn, you're able to perform better. And then the cold pack is used after your activity to ice down your back so that you recover and you can do those activities again at a high level. What does the market look like overall? Obviously, they're in terms of sports medicine, hot, cold compresses, you know, there's a plethora of products out there. So, so what really distinguishes you and, and, you know, who's really, you know, in your mind, your major competitors for this? Sure. Um, first of all, I have design patents on both of these, and I have utility patents around the world on these products also. So uh, that's the protection we have out there. These products are actually the only orthotics in the world that are actually anchored to a pair of compression shorts. So these belts stay in the exact right position as you're wearing them, and it doesn't fall down. You'll see some core belts on TV. You'll see a lot of those. They don't stay in the right position. You'll see them actually running up on the patient wearing them or the person wearing them. When you have a belt anchored to you, it keeps that belt in the right position, keeps the hot and cold packs in the right position also throughout any activity. So we have... Besides pro and amateur sports teams, we have firemen, uh, policemen, restaurant workers, doctors, nurses, you name it. People just doing their every activities that need that extra core and back support and being more active. And what's the price point on these? These go for $79.95 a pair. And in the medical office, these go for about $115 a pair. So you talked about how you were sort of inspired by being a sportsman and playing a lot of sports. Uh, Would you say that one particular sport or consumer? Uh, like, what's your typical consumer? Is it mostly like people who play golf who are older and hurt, or is it more, you know, nurses on their feet every day or, or something? Uh, great question. Uh, it's actually both. Um, we started in a sports market, not knowing what the response was going to be out there. So, a gentleman who was working with me brought it out to 18 professional baseball teams at their spring camps and met with all the sports trainers out there, and the response was off the charts. So from there, we then went out and I gave pairs to policemen, firemen out there. My brother was a fireman. And again, the response was tremendous. So anywhere we went, I was getting these great responses, people writing me. And one of the great things about getting responses is uh, I had a gentleman a couple of weeks ago. I reached out to him and I said, uh, how do you like your jock shorts? And his response was, these are much better than I even thought they were going to be. And that's what I love to hear. Again, he got more active, more healthy out there. He was getting up, walking. And that's what these are all about. Um, when did you launch and how many have you sold? We launched uh, approximately four and a half years ago. I don't know the exact total, but we've uh, brought in over $250,000. What has been your most effective marketing channel? How, I, of, all, of all the marketing activities that you've tried, which ones seem to work the best for this kind of product? Well, certainly sports. Uh, but again, People that just want to get out and do their everyday activities, whether you're going out and gardening, going for a walk, raking your leaves. Um, I wear it. Again, I, I wanted to tell you that how I lost that 35 pounds. I started walking, and every mile or so, my back wasn't bothering me. And I thought I was getting the placebo effect, where I'm talking myself into feeling better. So I hired a biomechanical physiologist who worked for the U.S. Armed Forces to test the product. And he said to me, no, no, this product works. 
And I said, I kept on walking myself. I was up to 10 miles a day and I dropped 35 pounds. So that was what it's all about is getting people up, facilitating healing, feeling better out there and being active. Does it work for sciatica? Absolutely. The retail pair is really for somebody with um, low back pain. The medical pair is for people that have serious back injuries or are coming off a of surgery and want to, again, uh, quicken their healing process. Uh, you mentioned going up and down the East Coast, uh, looking for seamstresses and talking to them. Uh, I assume this is manufactured in the United States. We make them in East Orange, New Jersey, but we did our first batch uh, down in the Dominican Republic. Do they make good holiday gifts? They sure, <laughs> they sure do. Uh, and again, just go to www.jockstore.com and we'll be happy to help you. So how long does a pad last? Is it a one use for like eight hours or something? Exactly. The hot pack is one use. It lasts up to 14 hours. And the cold pack is one use. It lasts for 20 minutes where you get that ice down feeling on that lower back and relieves that inflammation. Well, here's a question just for listeners out there. He's holding up sort of what you would consider like ice packs and like a larger hand warmer type pack. Do I have to buy your brand of hot packs or can I get any sort of hot pack size or... Is there anything in particular no, uh, that, to use it? No, that's why we have design patents on this. This fits perfectly in the back pouches of these products. So it's almost like a half moon shape. That's why the design patents are very important. Oh, so once I open it, it's a square package, but the actual ice pack itself is a half moon, so it's going to wrap around. Fits right in this back pouch. Gotcha. Yep. So is this a subscription service? Like if I buy the pair of pants, I, how long do the pants last? You know, it varies. We tell our uh, buyers to uh, drip dry them. But I also throw them in the dryer, just convenience. So uh, I have pairs that have lasted over two years already. What happens eventually, it's like any pair of underwear. The bands start loosening from ex- you know, excessive use. And I wear them almost every day. So my, my jocks are getting uh, workouts every time out there. Can you wear them to bed? You can wear them under your clothes for anything. Okay. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Like I said, I wear them for any kind of activity I'm doing. If I'm going to be walking or doing some uh, work outside, shoveling snow, I feel naked without them on now. Can I sign up to get, like, new gel packs delivered every month? Uh, we could do that for you, certainly, but uh, usually people just call in and, uh, you know, order as needed. I love this product. and Thank you. I do think it may end up under the Christmas tree. <laughs> they make great gifts. Thank you so much. <laughs> and it is the Jocks, J-O-X, store. And you know what? If you really have bad back pain, get the government to pay for these shorts for you. Otherwise, they're not that expensive. You can buy them yourself. Well, that's the medical pair we, that we cover insurance-wise. So the retail pair does not have certain insurance cover. So, right. so we'll help you on either repair. Awesome. Great. Thank you so much, Elizabeth. Thank uh-huh. you, Richard. So you're listening to Passage to Profit with Richard and Elizabeth Gearhart on WOR 710 iHeartRadio. There's never been a better time to start your own business. The opportunities are infinite and only limited by your imagination and enthusiasm. At Gearhart Law, we believe the most successful companies all have one thing in common. They start with a solid foundation first. Gearhart Law has years of experience protecting entrepreneurs, ideas, and brands using patent, trademark, and copyright protection. So if you have a new consumer product, a new software application that you're planning to build or sell, or a brand or company name that you want to protect, contact the experts at www.gearheartlaw.com. Our professionals will create a custom strategy designed to fit your needs and your budget. All of our attorneys are passionate about protection, licensed and qualified to represent you before the United States Patent and Trademark Office. Don't start your project without calling us first. Visit gearheartlaw.com. Together, we 
we can change the world. Visit G-E-A-R-H-A-R-T-L-A-W.com. This ad has been read by a non-attorney spokesperson. Now more with Richard and Elizabeth. Passage to Profit. We've come to the end of our presentations this evening. And remember, everyone, to go to the Passage to Profit page at GearHeartLaw.com, spelled G-E-A-R-H-A-R-T-L-A-W, and vote for your favorite project. So to summarize, we had Rosemary Maloof with Smarty Smart Sticks, the sticks that make you smart, but I'm not going to sing it. (laughs) Uh, Paulina Bryan with Live Lawyer App. Everybody needs a lawyer at some point. Don't leave home without it. (laughs) And James Arsenault with the Jock Store. So get rid of that back pain. Absolutely. Absolutely. Now, Google Passage to Profit and make your choice. Remember, you can only vote once, but you have until next Sunday at 7 p.m. to vote. This evening's pitch contestants will receive a Passage to Profit t-shirt, and then the best overall vote-getter for this show will receive an Amazon gift card. So before we sign off, we'd like to say thank you to everyone who participated today. You know, it's just always so great hearing these new pitches every week and the up-and-coming and solving problems and people saying, I can find a better way to do that and just doing it. I think it shows human ingenuity at its best. And that's what I love about being in the entrepreneurial space. And I agree that the pitches were wonderful. And I want to say thanks again to our entrepreneur guest, Mike Ganade, and also to James Klobukar, our trusted expert advisor on intellectual property matters at Gerhardt Law. Do you guys have any final words of wisdom before we wrap up? I'm sure. I I would say that Uh, As an entrepreneur, I've been an entrepreneur since uh, 2010. And the most important part about being an entrepreneur isn't the idea. It's about execution and actually getting the job done. Don't be afraid to share your ideas and iterate on them and pivot because that's the most important thing about being an entrepreneur is the actual execution of the idea. An idea can change and shift as you start making progress. Yeah, and if you have an idea, get it protected. Absolutely. <laughs> I mean, you know, if you if you don't if you if you if you disclose it, you know, before it's protected, you run the risk of someone, you know, taking your idea or even from a legal perspective, you know, impacting potential patent rights down the line. So so get it protected up front, do things right and, you know, let your business take off from there. Well, thank you guys. You're both incredibly impressive and now I know a lot more about Kickstarter than I ever knew before. And we would also like to thank our producer, Noah Fleischman, and Rob, our engineer, Kenya Gibson, the media maven, and the whole iHeart team. So don't forget to join us next week for another excellent speaker and another round of incredible pitches. And you can start thinking about what your pitch will be. Don't forget to like us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. This is Richard and Elizabeth Gearhart on iHeart with Passage to Profit, W-O-R-710, the voice of New York. 